Good morning. Welcome again to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for joining us for our virtual-only worship service today. As Joshua explained a few minutes ago, this is week three out of at least four of our virtual-only services. We are still thinking, praying, considering what to do about December 20th, December 27th, and of course our Christmas Eve service thrown right in the middle. So we will keep you informed of that, but thanks for joining in with us on your screens. And again, as Joshua said, let us know that you're here. We'd love to see you here, whether it's through Facebook or a YouTube comment or an email or a text later in the week. We would love to know who all is worshiping with us. Now, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, the year 2016, we did a Christmas sermon series with the theme of a holiday gift guide. That December, we focused on the good gifts that God's people could share with those around us. Gifts like value, forgiveness, compassion, and last but not least, Jesus Christ. Well, this year, we're picking up the holiday gift guide idea once again, but doing it from a slightly different angle. In 2020, we're not going to focus on the gifts that we give others so much. We're going to focus more on the good gifts that God has given us. Those gifts are his word, a.k.a. the Bible, the church, the Holy Spirit, and the Son. These gifts are far better than the Red Rider BB gun from A Christmas Carol, a Furby back in 1998, which I got one back then, or a PlayStation 5 today. But what is it about these gifts, the Word, the Church, the Spirit, the Son, what makes them so great? So this morning, open up to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, as we start focusing on God's Word. I encourage you to follow along in your Bibles at home. We'll have the verses on the screen. You'll see them on your screen, but there's a lot of value in following along in your Bible at home. So I encourage you to do that. But before we read, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for Sunday morning in a year of change and uncertainty and unpredictability in most ways, Sunday morning has remained consistent. Uh, some Sundays we've been here in the room. Some Sundays we've worn masks back in January through March, or rather not worn masks back in January through March. And then some Sundays we have worn masks. Some Sundays we've been at home. Some Sundays we've had 50 people in the room or 75 people in the room, or this morning we have eight people in the room. Uh, Lord, but with all that change... In a sense, this has been a constant, that every single Sunday, in some shape, form, or fashion, we can gather around your word, we can hear your word preached, we can take communion, we can pray, we can see at least a few faces of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that as we appear to be hunkering down again uh, for time away from each other, more than we would like I pray that you would still work through this constant of Sunday morning. I pray this Sunday morning would be good for us, would be honoring to you, 
Lord, I pray that we would do you justice with our worship. It's really impossible for us to do you justice with our worship by our own power. But, Lord, we ask for your help as we worship you. We ask that you would fill us with your spirit and that our time together, our praise, would be honoring to you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who calls us together. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, each year, the American Bible Society publishes a study called the State of the Bible. And in this study, they measure the scripture engagement of your average American. Now, their definition of scripture engagement is about how often people read the Bible and what sort of impact it has on their choices and on their relationships. And they use a five-level scale to measure this, ranging from Bible disengaged at the lowest end, those people who never have any sort of interaction with the Bible, to Bible-centered on the high end, those people who are reading it often and for whom it's having a significant influence on their lives. Well, in their most recent report, the American Bible Society found that only 5% of Americans are gauged. And those numbers are the case in spite of the fact that 84% of Americans own a Bible. A similar study that was limited to Christians, not Americans in general, but confessing believers in Jesus. That study found that only 18% read the Bible daily, and 23% never read it at all. Now let's be honest, those statistics are not exactly encouraging. These findings call the narrative of America as a Christian nation into question. Those findings should make churches like ours and pastors like me wonder just how well we are training and shepherding our flocks. For Christians, people who are sometimes mocked as Bible thumpers, we don't thump our Bibles very much. So why is it that we Christians fail to fully appreciate the priceless gift of God's word? Now, we've all heard the same reasons. At different times, we've probably given the same excuses. We're too busy. We're too tired. It's too big. It's hard to understand. I don't know where to begin. Now, some of those things may be true. Though, if we're really being honest, good old-fashioned laziness probably plays a role as well. However, I also suspect that part of why we Christians often do not fully appreciate the gift that God's word is, is because we don't know what it actually is, and we don't know what it actually does. So what exactly is the Bible? Let's start there. Well, the Bible is God's inspired authoritative, special revelation of himself. Okay, that sounds pretty orthodox. That's probably what you would expect a suburban conservative pastor to say. 
But what exactly do all those theological terms mean? Let's look at them one by one. When we say that God's word is inspired, we're saying that it's true. It's without failing, without error, and comes from God himself. In 1 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, the passage that you opened up to a few minutes ago, we see one of the go-to parts of Scripture when it comes to how Christians think about the Bible. In verse 16, the Apostle Paul describes all of Scripture. So think the Old Testament, the gospel that Paul was preaching, and the New Testament that was starting to come into development when Paul was writing these words. Paul describes Scripture as God-breathed. God-breathed. Peter, another apostle, adds in 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21, that no prophecy of Scripture is produced by a human author alone. That human author, that human speaker, is carried along by the Holy Spirit. Carried along by the Holy Spirit. In short, this book comes from God. It is inspired by God in a way that no other book is, has been, or ever will be. So that's word number one, inspired. What about word number two, authoritative? Well, when we say the Bible is authoritative, we're saying that it stands over us. And quite frankly, it judges us. Humans are accountable to God's word and held accountable by God's word. As Protestant Christians specifically, the Bible is our supreme authority for what we believe and what we do. Now, there are other authorities that we take seriously. But at the end of the day, God's word is our greatest authority. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, another one of those go-to passages. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. One commentator writes of those verses, The penetrating power of God's word renders every creature totally exposed and defenseless in the presence of the God to whom we must all render an account of our lives. Another says this, God's word exposes what is in the human heart by confronting it with the claims of God. The Bible stands in authority over us. We do not stand in authority over it. So it's inspired. It's authoritative. Next, we use the word special. A special revelation from God. What we mean when we use the word special is that the Bible differs from God's general revelation. 
General revelation is what God tells us about himself through the creation that we all inhabit. As the psalmist says in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. As Paul writes in Romans 1, the things that God has made teach us about who God is. They teach us about God's eternal power and divine nature. So while we can learn a great deal about God by observing the world that he made, this beautifully designed creation, we can only come to truly know God on a personal level through special revelation, of which the Bible is our primary resource. So inspired, authoritative, special, and we keep using that fourth word, revelation. Because God has revealed himself through his word, we don't have to. And just as importantly, we don't get to invent, imagine, or speculate too far about who God is and what God is like. He has told us who he is, told us what he is like from his own sacred mouth, in the words of one theologian. And we worship him for who he says he is, not for who we'd like him to be. We worship him on his terms, not on ours. In Acts chapter 17, Paul preaches to a group of amateur philosophers In the city of Athens, they had built a statue there to the, quote, unknown God, the unknown God. Well, Paul tells them that the one true God is not unknown. The one true God can be known. The one true God has revealed himself through his word. Now, hopefully that's a good start if you're learning for the first time or if you're reminding yourself again to more deeply understand, more deeply appreciate God's word as the wonderful gift that it truly is. Again, this is God's inspired, authoritative, special revelation of himself. And this truth ought to amaze us. I mean, how awesome is it that the one and only God of the universe, all-powerful, all-knowing, outside the limitations of time and space, the uncreated Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has made himself known to you. He's made himself known to me in a format that is widely accessible. That is astounding. But there's more. In order to more deeply appreciate the gift of the Bible, we don't just seek to understand what God's word is. We also need to know what God's word does. So what does the Bible do? Well, first and foremost, the Bible tells us the truth about who God is and the truth about who we are. From God's word, we learn that God is perfect, holy, and righteous, needing and lacking nothing outside of himself. 
He simply is. He always has been and he always will be. It's pretty mind-blowing, isn't it? And us? Well, the picture is a little less awe-inspiring. We were created in God's image with the purpose of honoring, serving, and representing this captivating and good God in the world that he made. That's all great. But the Bible also tells us that Adam and Eve, the first humans, rebelled against God through sin and dragged us down with them. Thus, the Bible also tells us what God has done to right that wrong. God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus Christ, fully man, fully God, born of a virgin, to live a sinless life, die a sacrificial death on the cross for the sins of others, rise again, and reconcile all who believe in him to the God we have betrayed. Now don't get me wrong, general revelation is great. You can learn a lot about God from staring at the stars in the sky or hearing birds sing or climbing a mountain or studying biology or tasting a wonderful meal or smelling a pine tree at Christmas. But as good as those things are, as amazing as they might be, it's God's special revelation, the Bible, that really tells us who we are. And really tells us what we need. And really tells us what God has done. The Bible then goes on to tell us, as believers in Jesus, what God expects of us in our newfound salvation. We said earlier that the Bible is inspired by God. That its authors were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is a powerful word. In fact, it's so powerful that it can actually change us from the inside out into the righteous people God calls us to be. The righteous people God has declared us to be by faith in Jesus Christ. That's why Paul tells Timothy in that passage we read earlier, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Paul says that God's word is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible is not just amazing. It's useful. It's useful for us as we seek to follow Christ. In Ezekiel 37, the prophet has a vision of dry, dusty, dead bones left behind in a field of battle. But those bones come to life when God's word is preached to them. In the same way, the Bible is a source of new life for us. It is a means of helping us live new lives as God's redeemed children and commissioned servants bought through the broken body and shed blood Of Jesus. And finally, the Bible tells us what we have to look forward to. 
It doesn't just tell us who God is and what God has done and how we're called to respond to it. The Bible tells us what lies ahead. It tells us of Jesus' promised return as judge. It tells us of the kingdom that he will bring with him on earth as it is in heaven. It tells us of the new bodies that all who believe will rise to. It tells us of sin's eradication. It tells us of the saint's reward. And it tells us of Satan's defeat. This book, for all it is and for all it does, is a glorious gift. If everything we've said this morning is true, why in the world would we let this gift gather dust on a nightstand? Or get abandoned between seats in the car? Or be buried under a stack of magazines? Psalm 119 is a long, poetic meditation on the wonder of God's decrees, ordinances, statutes, commandments, precepts, promises, all ways of saying God's word. Psalm 119 describes God's word as a delight, better than thousands of gold and silver pieces, sweeter than honey. A lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And in the original context, that was just the Old Testament. You know, this book is not just a book of facts. It's definitely not a book of fairy tales. It's not just a how-to manual. It's not a subject to be mastered as if you could ever master this thing. It's not a hobby to be pursued This book is our overarching story. It's the story that matters more than any other, both in this life and the next. It tells us the ugly truth of who we once were in our sin. The good news of who we are now in Christ. And the glory of who we one day will be. This word of God is a breathtaking humbling, empowering gift of God's grace. So read it. Study it. Listen to it. Devour it. But practically speaking, how do you do that? How do you read this book? Well, a few quick words of advice. Number one, make time for it. Make time for it. Because if you aren't intentional about it, it probably won't happen. Deep down, we all know that we make time for what matters. We all have habits. We all have priorities that we cannot imagine going without in the course of a day. For some of us, it's a cup of coffee or a workout. For all of us, it's hopefully brushing our teeth. The point is that we make time for what matters so make time for god's word because it matters too have a plan to read god's word have a plan come up with a format for how much you're going to read what days you're going to read where you're going to read and who you're going to read with 
Most of us will fare much better in this effort if we have some sort of structure, some sort of accountability for our reading. Number three, get the right Bible. Find a reliable translation that you can understand. Make sure the print is legible. Spend a little more money on a Bible that you will truly enjoy using if that helps motivate you to read it more. And if you have questions about which Bible is right for you, or if you lack the resources to get one yourself, this church will not hesitate to help you. So make time, have a plan, get the right Bible, and pray. Ask God to grow you in your hunger for his word. Ask him to help you understand what it is you're reading. Ask him to help you apply it to your heart, your mind, and your life. One of my consistent prayers for myself and for this church is that we would be shaped and formed by God's word. And I ask that you pray that same prayer with me. Pray it for me. Pray it for yourself. Pray it for all of your brothers and sisters in Christ in this place. God does incredible, miraculous things through his word. He created the world out of nothing by speaking words. He called Abraham with words. He spoke to Moses from the burning bush with words. He wrote down words for his people in his law. He sent prophets to his people to give them words. And most emphatically, he sent Jesus, the word who was with God and was God, for our salvation. And where do we learn all of this? Because people went out. Believers went out. And they shared this word. They shared the gift of this book. So before you open any other gifts this Christmas, open this one. Give it generously. Share it widely. Speak about it liberally. Let it sink into your heart, your mind, your soul, and your bones. And see how God will grow you from the inside out. And if you don't believe me, if you aren't sure, if you have your doubts or you have your questions, just open it up and give it a try. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you that we don't have to guess about who you are. We don't have to guess about what you've done. We're not flying blind. We're not in the dark. And while we don't know everything about you, because our finite minds can't even fully grasp your majesty, we know a lot about you. You've made yourself known to us through your word. And so, Lord, I pray that we would deeply, fully understand and appreciate what a gift your word is. Thank you for everything we learn from your word. 
We learn about your grace. We learn about your power. We learn about your kindness, your generosity, your holiness. Lord, we learn so much about you and we learn what you've done for us. So, Lord, thank you for this message of our salvation. Thank you for this message of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this good news that we get to read basically whenever we want. Lord, I pray that we would not take this gift for granted, that we would open it, read it, get new life from it as you intend, be shaped and challenged and formed by it to bring you glory. We love you. We honor you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.